Hello, everybody. Josh Neighbors here for the Locked On Nationals podcast. Today it is Tuesday, September 15th, 2020. On today's show, we talk about the Nationals' upcoming busy schedule, seven games in Florida this week. We'll also look at some news and notes for what should be a very crowded, jam-packed week for the defending World Series champions. You are Locked On Nationals, your daily Washington Nationals podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, let's get to it. Not an incredibly long episode today, but we do have some national news and notes to talk about. The Nats embark on a six-game, seven-day road trip to the state of Florida. Funny enough, they're going to play seven games this week, despite the fact that they have two off days. They have one on Monday. They play the Rays tonight in the first game of their series on Tuesday. They'll play them again during the day on Wednesday. They have an off day on Thursday before traveling to Miami, where it is a doubleheader on Friday night, a Saturday night game, so normal time, and then a Sunday doubleheader. Both those doubleheaders will be seven-inning doubleheaders. So you're going to see some uh, new faces, not new faces necessarily, but some faces that you're not used to seeing um, you know, a ton. I, I suspect that Will Crow is going to get a chance to have a start. Uh, I'm not sure how the two off days are going to impact the starting schedule. So I think that's going to be something that is worth taking a look at. Right now, the Nationals sit at 17 and 28. They are a few games out of the fourth place team, the Mets. And we talked about that. If you want to hear about the past weekend series against the Braves, go check out our full weekend review. I had takeaways from all of the games between the Nats and the Braves this past weekend. And so now we turn our attention to Tampa and the Nationals had some success against this Rays team. They beat them twice last week. Those were at Nats Park. They were able to generate some momentum, which they subsequently lost uh, against the Braves. But nonetheless, it's a team that they've Perform pretty well against your pitching matchups tonight. It is going to be Anibal Sanchez going against John Curtis. So uh, it should be an interesting matchup for the for the Nationals to see how um, Sanchez could do because it's been hit or miss, and I actually didn't think he pitched horribly in the last start. Once again, they're trying to find if this guy's got anything consistent left in the tank. And it's really not all about this season. He's got a $12 million club option that's coming up with a $2 million buyout, I believe. So, you know, at this point in time, I really don't see Anibal Sanchez as kind of the long-term part of this rotation. I think if things went better this year and he was the guy that he was in the back half of last year, I think Mike Rizzo would have a, uh, a maybe even a kind of an easy decision in saying, hey, we can let this guy go. I, I think the one aspect of the situation that could keep him in D.C., is the fact that the Nationals are struggling to find consistent pitching. Like, they're going to have to find guys at least to replace that Voth spot, and Sanchez's performance, it's not warranted another spot. It doesn't warrant also $12 million, too. So maybe the Nationals think, hey, we can get a different starter who can basically give us the same performance for a much smaller price tag. I would be shocked if the Nationals kind of came back next year and said, yeah, let's give this thing a go at $12 million for Anibal Sanchez. You could definitely acquire some different parts, some more helpful parts for that money. So uh, I think Anibal's time in D.C. could be running short, but who knows? Um, And once again, his back half performance 
is a big reason why the Nationals were able to win the uh, go go as far as they did, and that gem he pitched in last year's NLCS forever going to be um, you know in Nationals lore. The guy's given this franchise a lot was such a huge part of last year's team, but. With the, with the way he's pitched this season, I'm not sure in good conscience you can bring him back for that price tag, especially when you're trying to restructure the starting rotation. Now, I mean, you know, once again, it makes the job a bit harder because now you're focusing on, well, we've got to fill two spots in the rotation, uh, you know, if, if both and, um, you know, if, if Sanchez are gone. I mean, once again, Fetty could be competing for that, that spot as well, too. We're, you know, we're forgetting that Steven Strasburg is out, but right now your rotation for next year is definitely going to be Corbin, definitely going to be Scherzer, and it's definitely going to be Steven Strasburg. There's two open spots, obviously, with that. I don't know which direction they want to go. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> I think we all know it's not going to be Austin Voth. I think Fetty has made an interesting case for you know maybe being a starter next season, um, especially you know if they get a full spring ball in next year. We'll see what he looks like in spring training and you know, could earn that spot. Joe Ross maybe coming back into the fold. But I think Sanchez letting him go and maybe trying to find other free agent pitching options might be the best call for the Nationals when it comes to Anibal Sanchez. So uh, another, you know, something interesting to watch tonight. Not sure how much the start is going to factor in, but, uh, you know, it's a player that potentially is on the outs. Austin Voth is scheduled to make a start tomorrow. Once again, you know, you really don't, uh, you don't feel confident with him out there. He is going up against the 24-year-old right-hander, Josh Fleming. So a day game then, and that will give them a bit more time off before they play their, you know, with that, that day off. So it's Wednesday day game, and they won't play until 5 o'clock on Friday. So they're going to have you know, around 48 hours between games uh, to get some rest. Then on Friday night, I'm really excited for this, Eric Fetty, who I have been encouraged by through his recent performances, goes up against the phenomenal Sixto Sanchez. Uh, you know, one of the exciting things about watching baseball games is when your team is bad, hopefully you're going to play some teams that have some exciting players, have some exciting prospects, and Sixto Sanchez is just that. He has been a big part of the Marlins holding serve like we talked about in that playoff, uh, that playoff podcast last week, and not just holding serve, uh, making a push, being in a dogfight for that second spot in the National League East, and Sanchez through his four starts, excuse me, his five starts, has gone 32 innings. He's allowed six total runs, 29 strikeouts. He has electric stuff. It's been fun to watch him so far, and we'll get to see him hopefully again, uh, barring you know anything going wrong, but we'll hopefully we get to see him on Friday night in game one. Patrick Corbin should go for the Nationals in that second game, at least that he is scheduled to right now. Once again, those doubleheaders, you're not sure how it's going to play out. Um, but, but we'll see ahead of time. And Corbin, really good outing last time. Let's see if he can build on that this time around. I'm interested to see what the Marlins look like. This is a good opportunity for the Marlins to take advantage of a Nationals team that has not played a good baseball this season and maybe make that push for that second spot. Five games, you know, we're looking to go three and two. And I, I think that you kind of look across and see what the Phillies schedule is. Obviously, you worry about yourself, but the Phillies have to play the Mets, and that's a team that they've split with so far this season. So I'm interested to see uh, with the Phillies and the Mets, you know, if they get a split there, Miami can once again push and get another half-game lead if they can go 3-2 and two against the Nationals. And, you know, you're playing kind of microball. Like, every single game counts at this point. So, you know, I know it's kind of very inside baseball to say, not, you know, from a technical standpoint, but to say, hey, look, if we can go 3-2 and two and they go 2-2, two and two, we're in a good spot. 
I know you got to worry about yourself, but I'm excited to see what this Marlins team, which all of a sudden become reinvigorated, is going to do. And also they've got some questions to answer for themselves pitching-wise because they're in a spot now where they're playing all these games in such a short period of time that it's going to be difficult for them to find consistent pitching. And that's where I think teams can get them. I mean, they played a seven-game series last weekend against the Phillies. So I'm interested to see uh, with that. All right, coming up next, we got some news and notes we'll get to. But first, a word from our sponsors. Today's Locked On Nationals podcast is brought to you by rockauto.com. Chain stores have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers. rockauto.com's prices are the same for everybody. They're always reliably low. rockauto.com always offers the lowest possible prices rather than charging prices based off what the market will bear like airlines do. rockauto.com is for everybody and does not require membership or account login. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Write locked on in the how did you hear about us box so they know what we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com All right, a couple quick notes here on the Nationals end. Uh, Brock Holt has been placed on the paternity leave list, and so that means that Jake Null is going to get called up. The 26-year-old... Right-handed corner infielder will come on for the Nationals, so I suspect you'll see him at third sum, at first sum, with kind of whatever spot they need him to fill in. He hasn't had much experience with the Nationals, but as a as a career in AAA, I believe he's hit over 280, and so uh, that's somebody that you're, you're excited to see, and he's been a quality guy in their minor league ranks now for a few years, and with him, I mean, nothing for him has been given. This is a guy who was a walk-on at Florida Gulf Coast University earned the National Freshman of the Year honors from Louisville Slugger, a guy who played in kind of all the, you know, the big leagues. He played in Cape Cod League, Northwoods League, uh, as in college. So, and somebody who also won a Conference Player of the Year in that Atlantic Sun Conference. A player that has had to fight his way, scratch his way, claw his way. He was a seventh-round pick, um, which is, you know, pretty high. But once again, going through all the way through the majors and is now finding his way here during this season. You know, probably not how he envisioned it, but uh, th- these are the kind of guys who are playing this year. And I think we always knew that he was going to uh, you know, keep working his way up and maybe become a nice utility guy in-, in some spots for the Nationals. But now he's going to get a chance to play a little bit, and hopefully he makes the best of that opportunity. Kind of some big league news. They've now approved the bubble. It was announced this morning that Major League Baseball and the MLB Players Association reportedly reached an agreement to host most of the 2020 playoffs, including the Division Series, League Championship Series, and World Series in neutral site bubbles. Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic reported the news and noted an official announcement is expected later today. ESPN's Jeff Passan reported details from the bubble plan on Friday. The National League's ex- uh, National League expected to play in Texas, while the American League expects to play in California. Now, that's interesting to me for a couple reasons. One, in Texas, you could see fans there. Um, I don't know if you want to sacrifice—I mean— how bubbled are you if you're allowing fans, right? Like, I know there's no contact between the players, but the integrity of the bubble, like, are they going to be allowed in the bubble? Are they going to be a part of that? Um, I don't know if allowing fans is going to compromise the in- or allows the potential to compromise the integrity of the bubble. So I think that's something to keep an eye on from a fan's perspective. Um, the sites are going to be the wild card games are going to be in the home, the home uh, buildings, the home stadiums, NLDS at Globe Life Park in Middle 
uh, Minute Maid Park. ALDS at Petco and Dodger Stadium. Ironically enough, that, that's funny that they're playing in two American League ballparks. The NLCS is going to be a Globe Life, the ALCS at Petco, and the World Series at the brand new Globe Life Field. So, also John Sherman of the New York Post provided some further information. Players on contending teams will have to, have to quarantine at a hotel for the final seven days of the regular season. Daily COVID testing, and players can elect to leave the hotel if their team is eliminated. He said he also heard that teams will be allowed to keep operating the alternate sites, but there won't be any transfers of players allowed from the alternate site to the MLB club after the quarantine begins. So expect all 40-man rosters and those on it uh, on IL to be part of quarantine. Very exciting news there. It's very interesting. This article comes from Tim Daniels at Bleacher Report. So um, I am very glad that the MLBPA and the MLB player, you know, MLB have agreed to something much further in advance with with a bit more thought out testing protocols or some bit more thought out protocols. You know, things for the most part have gone somewhat well for the for the MLB, but they had those major breakouts. And I think the three that were really um, the big ones were the Marlins, the Cardinals, and then obviously the the Indian situation with the two players breaking quarantine and that causing, you know, a bit a lot of angst, if you will. I mean, so much so Mike Clevenger gets traded. So I think that is the interesting part is that, is that you know, it was kind of incumbent on the teams to take care of themselves this season. And I think, you know, even teams like the Mets, you know, they took care of business, even, you know, in situations where um, a guy got, you know, a guy got sick. That's an example of a team having, uh, having COVID illness, but really, you know, there's no story coming out about any erroneous activities. The Nationals, you know, having Juan Soto at the beginning of the season, a player who sat there and, you know, was annoyed by a false positive. They handled it really well for a team that said no, you know, real problems with it. Like you're seeing that even the teams that get COVID, you can tell which ones are responsible because the numbers are lower and it's not a group of guys exposing some of their teammates, more than one guy. And uh, I, I think that has been impressive. And you could also tell a lot of the teams, even if they do have positive cases, many of them have handled it well uh, too. So I think that's the problem though, is that it was incumbent on the teams to handle it. And there weren't like, you know, there were not restrictions right off the bat. I mean, they didn't add the kind of what it was, the I forget the the term, but the COVID officer. They didn't really add those to each team until much later in the game. And for me, that was a bit curious why why they ended up making that decision to add those guys a lot later on. So MLB bubble um, coming up. I'm excited about that. Even if the Nationals aren't in it, I really still think these playoffs are going to be compelling. And we'll talk about those two as well. Um, I'm starting to get going on plans for the offseason. Aram Layton's going to come on the podcast later this week. We're going to talk about that 2021 draft class and who the Nationals could potentially target. Also, one thing I want to ask him too, because Aram, Aram is locked on Marlins and you know, what we've seen this year is guys that we didn't think would be ready to play big league baseball are playing big league baseball at a much higher level than we thought. Uh, maybe it's because they're going up against guys who also might, you know, were not considered big leaguers heading into the season. But I find it very, very curious that, uh, about how, you know, I'm now curious about how do major league baseball teams handle prospects moving forward? Do you short track some of these guys a bit more? It's going to be a case-by-case basis, obviously. But are you a bit more apt to pull the trigger on allowing a guy to get experience uh, faster? And, you know, the Nationals have a great example in that 
in Luis Garcia, a guy that has shown, you know, day in and day out that he is 20 years old, but he's ready to play and he's ready to be at this level. Uh, Juan Soto is somebody you know was was ready because he's such a crazy talent, but you know they're showing that youth youth can prevail. Um, Andres Jimenez of the Mets is a great example. Sixto Sanchez is a great example. Alec Bohm is a great example. All of these guys across the National League East, and there's plenty of examples. I'm just listing the ones that you know we see on a pretty regular basis. But across the league, a lot of these teams have had contributions from guys like that. So I think it's going to change the. Not draft calculus, but maybe even it does. You know, maybe you think you can short track guys a lot faster. I don't know. Maybe the Nats find a pitcher that they feel is a bit more ready than other guys. That's the exciting part to me. We'll have RM on. We're going to talk about that. The offseason stuff I'm planning out right now. I think we're going to take a look back at each player. Um, you know, there weren't a lot of great moments of the season, so maybe we'll do a countdown of the best or most fun moments or the most important moments or the most meaningful moments, but also to take a look at each player and their future with the Nationals. And, uh, or, you know, if it's a player that's on the outs, maybe like an Anibal Sanchez or a Kurt Suzuki, look back at their contributions to the Washington Nationals, uh, especially not just, you know, not just this season, but especially last season and, and what they meant maybe, you know, if they're a player that helped build their way to the World Series uh, if they end up, you know, whether we're still with the team or on the outs or if it's a guy you think we th- might think retire. Uh, you know, it should be fun to take a look back and, and see, you know, take a look back at a, a lot of these guys because so many of them are, are older and their futures aren't as clear um, or, they, you know, they could be heading to latter stages of their, of their career. So the Nationals, while the team hasn't been very good, they do have many interesting, uh, thought-provoking player situations coming up when you consider age, where they are in their career, what they give into the franchise, what they might still have left, uh, and, and what they could add to this team moving forward. Go check us out on Twitter at LO underscore Nationals. Follow me at Josh Neighbors underscore. And then check out the Locked On MLB podcast as well as the Locked On Fantasy Baseball podcast. All of these things are part of the Locked On Podcast Network. <laughs>